Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I have taken to flat out calling people communists. And I, I think for some, they consider that a low-hanging fruit statement. Oh, Tony calling somebody a commie. What, he's got, he's got no other way to discuss them? I, I think that there, there is a, a bit of truth in the idea that when you just call people dumb or stupid, that, that it is low-hanging fruit. That indeed, uh, you're not able to engage conversation about them or the policy and discuss the, the issue in, in a rational way. But when I'm talking about Jamal Bowman, he's a communist. When I'm talking about Jamal Bowman and talking about how he believes that we should not drill for fossil fuels, you understand that that only leads to an absolute hellscape situation. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. That hellscape situation is, of course, what it is that, well, communists bring us. They don't bring us value. They don't bring us decency. They don't bring us something good. They bring us horror. This was Jamal Bowman, the congressman, member of the squad from New York, on with Wolf Blitzer on CNN. Another major problem is the Joe Manchin pipeline that we fought so hard to stop from being built. That is still a part of this bill. And what's problematic about that is, number one, we need to stop drilling for fossil fuels completely. But number two, we need an expedited way to get us to clean renewable energy or we will continue to have these severe weather events that we have been having for quite some time in the This is an ignorant position from a foolhardy man, except that it isn't about foolhardiness. It is about an ideological purity. It is about the communism. This idea that we are all going to die if we drill for oil, it's pathetic. It's wrong. There's no science to this. We should get rid of fossil fuels. He means oil, by the way. The term fossil fuel has always been ridiculous. He couldn't survive two days without oil. How are you going to have a cell phone without oil? How are you going to get from point A to point B without oil? Now, you understand the reason I call him a communist is because he's still going to get from point A to point B. You should change your life, not him. He has important work to do. Because the people of New York will foolhardily elect this man over and over and over again. This man who does not work in their best interest, he does everything but. He will still be able to travel here. He'll still be able to fly there. You won't be able to have air conditioning less than 87 degrees if you're able to have it at all. I mean... Can we discuss oil and air conditioning just for a moment? And the innovations that quite literally have allowed us to utilize the totality of land we have in the United States? Where do you think the energy comes from? How do you think these things operate? What belief is there that solar power can manifest itself in a way today that would allow us to provide the cooling capacity for the hospitals in Houston, Texas? It can't. Now, I'm not saying that it won't in the future. I'm saying that it can't today. It cannot. It cannot today provide the power 
to cool the hospitals in Houston, Texas. But go back to what Representative Jamal Bowman said. The major problem is the Joe Manchin pipeline that we fought so hard to stop from being built. That is still a part of this bill. And what's problematic about that is, number one, we need to stop drilling for fossil fuels completely. If you need to stop drilling for fossil fuels completely, one would assume you mean today. Right now, we need to stop drilling for fossil fuels completely. Well, what we need to do is have more uh, wind and, and, and more solar. That'll do it. No, it won't. You know, that conversation I had with Robert F. Kennedy Jr., which I'll talk uh, more uh, about, um, he talked about how, you know, we've got the windiest places on Earth, second windiest places on Earth, that we can create power for this, power for that, but we haven't. And there's a reason, because we can't. Not because we shouldn't, but because we can't. Because it doesn't matter how many freaking wind turbines you put up there. The wind turbines, when there's no wind, require electricity, meaning requires oil to be run, unless you want to run those things on coal. The power has to come from somewhere. The energy has to come from somewhere. Something has to get refined. Something has to be utilized. We're not talking about the fantasies of what we would like. We're talking about the realities of what we have. The fantasy of what we would like is that the solar panels could actually cool Houston and cool the hospitals of Houston, but they can't. They can't. You need the electricity. The electricity is coming from somewhere, right? It doesn't just exist. That's what they never tell you about the electric this and the electric that and the electric others. They never tell you where the power comes from. The power comes from those places that are naughty, like oil and coal. So when they say electric, they don't actually engage the part two that if everybody is now part of the grid, the power still has to come from somewhere. And it doesn't come from solar, it doesn't come from wind. They never acknowledge that when everybody is on the grid and everyone's got electric cars, electric stoves, electric this, electric that, then they, the federal government, can dictate how much of that electricity you can use and for what purpose. And yes, they'll regulate you to only having uh, temperatures in your house um, to 77, or not 77, 87 degrees. Because 77 would be way too cold. There are already places in California that want to regulate your temperatures. Just like they want to regulate the amount of power. Everyone should have electric cars. Oh, by the way, we need to not have anybody charge their cars today because the grid is already being, you know, strained because of the heat. The move to electric is solely a move about control. And yes, this conversation is about control. But let's also remember what we're talking about here when we allow people like Jamal Bowman, a communist, to have control. People die. People die. Our society needs oil and needs gas. And without these things, people are going to die. I don't know why Jamal Bowman is in favor of killing these people, but he is, right? But that's not the natural conclusion of his statements. 
He wants to stop, stop drilling right now, and then he continues. But number two, we need an expedited way to get us to clean, renewable energy, or we will continue to have the severe weather events that we have been having for quite some time. We have to expedite solar and wind. How does one expedite something that doesn't work? doesn't matter that you want to do it. doesn't matter that you want to do it. What matters is you can't. Your plan doesn't work. It's not because I don't want it to work. I'm down with solar and wind. I'm down with hydrogen. I'm super down with nuclear. Why in the world do we not have nuclear power in the United States? Oh, that's right. These same environmentalists tell you that nuclear power is too dangerous. They're not environmentalists. They're frauds. They're people who want control. And if control means your life, so be it. It really is despicable uh, the way they, they move about this. It really is despicable how they try and scare people into giving up, well, really, uh, their, their desire for humanity and decency, their desire for a better life and a better future. If we take Jamal Bowman at his word, if we stop drilling and engaging fossil fuels and utilizing fossil fuels completely, which is what he's saying, our society stops. Society stops. We don't have something better. We have something far, far, far worse. But not for him. For the communist, it's about control. And for the communist, it is about the ideology over the humanity. Because after all, he'll still have what he needs because he's important. And you, you will learn to appreciate what he's done for you. If you ask me, these people are absolutely evil. And the people who vote for them are absolutely shameful. And it's important to call them out, expose them, and try and ensure that they never get elected again, which is all I'm really trying to do. I'm Tony Katz. Chinese are getting aggressive. Pentagon saying that a Chinese jet got aggressive near a U.S. plane. This isn't the first time usually we hear about this regarding the Russians. Unnecessarily aggressive is how they described it. Getting within 400 feet of Chinese J-16. Getting close to a U.S. RC-135 plane. And of course they do this stuff on purpose to try and test what the United States will do, how it will work. The the Shenyang J-16, by the way, is their fourth-generation tandem uh, strike fighter. And uh, it is utilized by the Chinese uh, military. In the 90s, it was China that bought the the Russian stuff, and they've been developing off the Russian platforms. Uh, The Russians, when it comes to planes, have a couple things that are worthwhile. Certainly, they don't have anything that matches the U.S. technology. They do, however, have been able to, over their years, create some things that are certainly problematic. Um, The Chinese are utilizing this and trying to build on that. The problem for the Chinese is that they don't know actually how to build anything. They know how to steal. They don't know how uh, to build. But this move from China is a standard move to try and see, A, what American response is, and, of course, just to needle 
the U.S. That's what they do. I don't believe that this is in response to a move from the U.S. government to go after China regarding fentanyl. I was very, very happy to see that the United States is sanctioning China and Mexico, 17 separate companies and individuals, regarding fentanyl. Now, they're not going after the actual pushers. Follow me on this. The story from News Nation. The Treasury Department announcing sanctions on 17 separate companies and individuals based in China and Mexico for their roles in the fentanyl crisis. They are going after the people who produce, for example, or supply drug producers with pill press machines and other tools that help mold counterfeit markings on pills. This is not a bad idea. It's not the totality of an idea, as long as we understand each other. You got to go after everybody. If, if we can't, more people agree that we have to fight fentanyl than agree on the debt limit deal, as we've been discussing. So let's go fight fentanyl. Let's do the thing that we at least agree on. Let's fight this. And yes, better we have the money to fight uh, fentanyl coming across the border than we have for 80,000 IRS agents. I, I, if, if you don't believe that, there's something really wrong with you. You really, you really do hate people. You really and truly hate people. Fighting fentanyl is extremely important. And I'm down for this. I'm actually getting ready. Uh, I, I was There was a chance I would have been back at the border now, like today. I'd be back at the border. I won't be back at the border, I think, until sometime in July or maybe August. Oh, it's going to be hot, but I'm going back. I have more to see. I have more to learn. I have more people to talk to, more interviews to do. The fentanyl thing is out of control. And it was interesting. It was Cato Institute that put out a, 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 was a story or is a study uh, that, oh, it's Americans bringing fentanyl across. That's the problem. Americans are bringing fentanyl across the, the, the Mexico border. Um, the drug trade is there. The cartels are in on this. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. If you want to argue that there are Americans bringing more fentanyl than maybe they were prescribed because they want it or maybe they're reselling it, we'll go after those Americans. They're breaking the law. You're not going to see me lose any sleep. But the issue is what's coming across the border and what's being pushed and what's being pushed by the Chinese government in order to disrupt and destroy American culture and civilization because that, of course, is the goal. How else do they get to China 2025? How else do they engage the Belt and Road Initiative? You got to think of these things on a global scale in a much larger way. Everything is a piece to some greater peace. And the greater peace is their power, is their control, is their domination. That's what it is. That's all it is. Don't, don't lie to yourself. So this is a good first step. I am totally down with this first step. I think it's, I think it's the right move. It just can't be the only step. Now, there could have been other first steps that I was totally okay with. There could have been other first steps that I'm like, that's the right thing to do. I'm not going to say this wasn't the right thing to do. Um, this was this is this is something that we should cheer, and we should say let's do more of this, and let's also do X and Y and Z. That's what I'd like to see. Now I had some people uh, reaching out and commenting about my my conversation earlier about 
Jamal Bowman and uh, me referring to him as a communist and, and communism in general and and how communism is really the you know the desire of ideology as opposed to reality. Communism never looks at reality. Communism is built on lies. Communism's premise of wealth redistribution, if we want to utilize that as the premise, can only be attained through lying to the people and engaging in class warfare to make them believe that their neighbor has, wait for it, too much. The entirety of the conversation of fair share is a conversation about promoting communism because it means that someone gets to determine what is fair and the person who gets to determine fair is the person who has less. They now get to determine fair. Now you're engaged in a conversation about the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. You see how that works? You see how that guy, I figured you'd see how that works and how that goes. But in this conversation, you know, Tony calling him a communist, whether it's low-hanging fruit or really it doesn't connect with people, well, 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 let's not say I'm not somebody who doesn't come prepared. The Daily Wire with a story about Jane Fonda, who is a communist. Jane Fonda is garbage. She was garbage regarding Vietnam. She's garbage today. And the idea that she still gets listened to is... Uh, is is surreal. Jane Fonda is now talking about uh, climate in the United States, just like Jamal Bowman was. But who is responsible? White men. White men are responsible for the climate crisis. She was speaking at the Cannes Film Festival. This is reported by the Daily Wire via OutKick saying, quote, this is serious. We've got about seven, eight years to cut ourselves in half of what we use of fossil fuels. How many times have we heard this, guys? How many times have we heard the same exact story? The fear-mongering, if we don't do X, we're going to die. We'll be underwater in 12 years. We only have 12 years left for this, two years left for that, eight years left for that. She continues, unfortunately, the people who have the least responsibility for it are hit the hardest. Global South. People on islands, poor people of color. It is a tragedy that we have to absolutely stop. We have to arrest and jail those men. They're all men. So she's hit the trifecta of blame here. Uh, the, the, the wealthy nations, the men, and of course, uh, white men. Quote, it's good for us to all realize that there would be no climate crisis if there was no racism. There would be no climate crisis, crisis if there was no patriarchy. White men are the things that matter, and then everything else is at the bottom. There'd be no climate crisis if it wasn't for racism. This is what communists do. Attack on this, attack on this, class warfare. Remember, that's Marxism uh, at play. It's exactly what we're seeing all across the country. That's what Black Lives Matter is all about. And they were trained Marxists, so it makes perfect sense. My commentary about Jamal Bowman is accurate. My commentary about Jane Fonda being a communist and a fool, she is a useful idiot, is accurate. She isn't an intellectual. She's garbage. Not because I say so, but because she has said so for 50 years. I come with receipts, guys. She wants to kill white men. Or, I'm sorry, imprison white men. I don't know how she's going to do it. I don't know if she's going to go house to house and tell people it's, you know, they got to spend their time in the pokey now. I'm not sure, but bless her heart for trying. 
A communist always knows what's best for you, and in order to get their desires through, they have to lie to the people, divide the people, and inspire fear in the people to get what they want done done, which is, of course, their power. That's why I said it about Bowman and Fonda. And I'm right. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. The Dodgers were wrong. And now there are even members of the Dodgers organization saying they're wrong. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Clayton Kershaw plays for the Los Angeles Dodgers, disagreeing with the organization and how they're going to have a big pride festival and include the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. These are drag queens who dress up like nuns and insult Christianity. No word yet on whether or not they're going to insult Islam, although when they do, I would like to attend the event just to see what happens next. I want to see when the sisters, these drag queens, all dress themselves up in their version of what Muhammad looks like, and then I want to see what happens next. Oh, it's not going to happen, right? That's not going to happen because attacking Christianity is where it's at. It's easy. One of the very first political theories I ever came to was the concept of the enemy of least resistance. That for the leftist, they do not apply themselves in equal measure. They only apply themselves against the enemy of least resistance. The progressive doesn't believe in organized religion, except, of course, for the state. But the progressive will never go after uh, Islam or Islamists or Muslims because they fear the violence that will come from doing that. But Christians are these turn-the-other-cheek losers, so they can, you know, whatever happens to them is cool. Let's make fun of them. <laughs> the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, they're drag queens who hate Christians. And they put on makeup, and they insult Christianity, and they insult these nuns. And Clayton Kershaw said that this isn't, isn't right. That this is, this is a, a thing. And they're actually going to do a uh, Christian Faith and Family Day. He actually announced that the team was going to do this in response to what's happening here. Now, the Dodgers originally invited this group, and then people said, do you know what this group's all about? And then they said, oh, we should not have this group. And then people said, how dare you not have these these fine, fine, upstanding citizens there? And then the Dodgers said, please don't hurt us. We'll have the group. Yay, we love diversity. I, I don't know. If you're asking me what's more insulting, this or the Washington Redskins, I think you know my answer. I think that somebody engaged in something satirical, yeah, you can like it, not like it. This is purposeful. This is just hate. This isn't about pride. This is about hate. Meanwhile, there's a Blue Jays player by the name of uh, Bass. What's Anthony Bass? That's it. He shared some some uh, tweets talking about boycotting of Target and Bud Light. 
And people are like, how dare you support this? Those boycotts are anti-LGBTQ. No, they're no, no, they're not. They're about these companies not caring about their customers. And if you're a company that pushes the idea that a five-year-old in a swimsuit should tuck, you know what I mean by tuck, you are not a good company engaged in an honest conversation. You're engaged in ideological nonsense, and people should say something about it. So this guy's now apologizing. This player, I recognized yesterday that I made a post that was hurtful to the pride community, which includes friends of mine and close family members of mine. I am truly sorry for that. Why? why, why? And of course, utilizing resources to better educate himself. That's what people say when they're told what to say. This is uh, what happens to you after you spend time in room 101. That's, that's a, an Orwell reference people uh read a book meanwhile more people making their decision on whether they're going to vote for this debt limit increase and this deal between president biden and kevin mccarthy congressman jim Banks scheduled to be with us next how will he vote and what is he telling his fellow republicans that is up next keep it here i'm tony katz It's an insult to get a 100-page bill and be asked asked to decide on it on the spot. I won't buy a microwave unless I get it in writing. And here we are at the last minute. No, it doesn't make sense, folks, for any of you. Once you dissect the bill, this bill is un-American. It defies conservatism. No Republican in good conscience should support this. That is Congressman uh, Ralph Norman. But there are Republicans supporting this debt limit increase with no number attached. There are Republicans supporting this budget deal. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Congressman Jim Banks joins us from the Indiana 3rd District, former head of the Republican Study Committee and currently a candidate for Senate in Indiana. Um, The Republicans voting for this, uh, including some people who are part of the Indiana delegation, uh, talk about incrementalism, the idea that it's a step forward here and a step forward there, and it's not perfect, but we can't default on the debt. And here we are. As far as I know, Congressman, uh, Republicans voted on this in the House of Representatives. They passed a debt limit increase. They sent it over to the Senate. So before we get into this legislation, sir, let's start with the first part. How come Republicans in the House didn't say Schumer has the bill? Let them vote on it. We're going to take a break. We're going to sit here, sip our tea and wait for them to figure out what they're going to do. I don't know. Um, That's the short answer, uh, Tony. Uh, because three or four weeks ago, we passed the Limit, Save, and Grow Act. Uh, I, I, you know, I did my homework on it, read that bill. I ended up voting for it. Reluctantly, I have a consistent voting record of voting against raising the debt limit. I, I voted against it consistently when Donald Trump was president. I voted against it consistently since Joe Biden has become president. But that deal, the Limit, Save, and Grow Act that you're referring to, it would have raised the debt limit about – by about a trillion and a half, but it would have made almost $5 trillion in spending cuts. So to me, that was a good deal. We passed it by one vote out of the House, and it was my expectation that it would go uh, to the Senate. I never expected it to come back to the House in the same shape that it left the House. I, I knew the Senate would water it down, but that didn't happen. Instead, 
we got this deal that was negotiated. Uh, it's not a good enough deal for me. I'm going to vote against it on the floor because it does almost exactly the opposite of the Limit, Save, and Grow Act. It it cuts um, the the cuts in the in this new agreement that we're going to vote on. I, I as I understand it, about fifty billion dollars in cuts, and it raises the debt limit by four trillion dollars. So. I do the math on that. That that's not a that's not a good deal. That's uh, that doesn't send us down a path to decrease the debt. It allows the debt to grow by four trillion. So this is pretty simple to me. I'm going to vote no on it. Talk to me about why Speaker McCarthy brought this deal. He he knows that he's in a precarious situation with the 15 votes it took to make him speaker. You were somebody who voted for him in that. And at one moment, you were somebody who was nominated to be Speaker of the House. Why come back to Republicans with this deal if he's only going to have to feel the wrath of people like yourself, of Representative Norman, of Representative Chip Roy, of Representative Byron Donalds and others? Yeah, again, I'm, I'm disappointed in the deal. I'm voting against it. Um, it's not what I'd hoped for. Uh, at the end of the day, we have a Democrat president who was demanding a clean debt limit increase. And he had Dem- a Democrat-led Senate who was backing up the president, give, give the president's demanding, give me a clean debt limit increase, no concessions. There are, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, uh, uh, $50 billion in spending cuts, um, you know, you kind of look at, as I read through this uh, agreement that we're voting on, there are some marginal work requirements. I wish they were a lot stronger. Um, it cuts a little bit of the the, the uh, unspent COVID money, about uh, you know, very, a, a small amount. So I suppose there are some concessions, but, you know, Republicans in the House are negotiating with the Democrat president, Democrat Senate. The leverage isn't on our side, but we do have leverage. So I'd hope that that leverage would mean, a better deal, something that looks a lot more like the Limit, Save, and Grow Act that we passed a few weeks ago. That's not well, the case. Well, so as, as a matter of just on. understanding some of the, the, the points, it's pulling back $30 billion in unspent COVID funds. There would be uh, increases to defense spending. That's 3%. Bring it to $886 billion. You would keep spending flat next year with a 1% increase in 2025. Are those as just items, things that you can get behind, or is that still not enough, you think, with Republicans controlling the House? Yeah, again, I, I go back to September of 2017, my first year in Congress, and uh, I voted then against, I was one of 90 uh, members of Congress, 90 Republicans who voted against raising the debt limit. Back then, September of 2017 to $20.5 trillion, and I voted against it again in August of 2019, to raise the debt limit to $28 trillion. That, those were under Trump. Um, then under Biden, raising it to $29 trillion, $31.5 trillion. I voted against it both times to do that. So for me, Tony, representing my district and my voters in northeast Indiana, um, I'm, I'm looking for a deal that would decrease the national debt. That's what I came to Washington to do on behalf of voters in northeast Indiana None of these deals that I voted against before did that. This one doesn't do that either. That's why I'm simply voting no. I mean, are, are there some parts of this bill that are marginally good? I, the work re- work requirements, that, that's good. I, I wish they were stronger. Um, scaling back some of the other uh, unspent COVID money and things like that, that's good, but it's not enough. Uh, also, on the defense part of it, Tony, arguably this would be a defense spending cut adjusted to inflation, 
So I'm not sure why why we would cut there and allow spending to grow in other places, raising the debt limit four trillion dollars, a blank check to over the over the next two years, the last two years, hopefully that Joe Biden is the president to raise the debt limit four trillion dollars more. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. That's why I'm, that's why it's simple for me to vote no on it. Talking to Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District, uh, also a candidate for U.S. Senate in the state of Indiana. It's Senator Lindsey Graham who said that, yes, indeed, the spending increase of 3% does not keep up with inflation. This is madness, and he's going to work to tear this legislation apart. So never mind uh, the Senate part. Let's stick back with the, 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 the House. You're disappointed in this legislation. But when we saw these 15 votes to get Kevin McCarthy in the speaker position, the, the part of the changes that were made were the ability for basically anybody to say, you gotta go. And uh, Representative Gates has already said, if we don't see a majority of the majority, meaning a majority of Republicans being in favor of this, if this legislation gets passed with a majority of Democrats, He's going to do it. He's going to pull the trigger, and Kevin McCarthy is going uh, to at least be challenged, if not out. Kevin McCarthy's already said, let them call the vote. I'm not worried about it. That was Chad Pergram of Fox News reporting that just a few moments uh, ago. Is there a majority of Republicans, as you know it, who will vote for this legislation? And if that is the case and this legislation passes, what is the state of the Republican Party in the House? Well, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if a majority of the majority of, of uh, if Republicans will vote for it or not. They, the Republican leadership says that they will. We know that a majority of the Democrats will vote for it. I mean, that's why it's a negotiated deal. And that's why the, the president supports it. Democrat uh, leader Chuck Schumer supports it. So most Democrats are going to vote for it. Uh, it's very likely to pass. It's not a good enough deal for me. It's why we have to get a Republican back in the White House who's actually serious about addressing the debt, uh, winning back the Senate majority. This is why I'm running for the United States Senate, to go be a fiscal. I've been one of the most fiscally conservative members of the House of Representatives in the seven years that I've been in the House, and we need more fiscal conservatives in the Senate who will fight back against this madness as well. So that's why I'm running for the United States Senate. Um, I, I the, Again, to answer your question, it sounds like a, a majority of Republicans will vote for it. I, I don't know what that final count will be. I'm not I'm not in a position to know, but I can tell you, at least from where I sit and uh, the district that I represent in northeast Indiana, I'm, I'm, on their behalf, I'll be voting no. Do you expect... Uh, yes vote or no vote in terms of pass or fail, do you expect there to be a challenge to Speaker McCarthy, who so far has been defying expectations and people have been happy? Then this comes. Do you expect there to be pushback in the terms of, hey, you didn't live up to the rules that we set. We need to find ourselves a new speaker. Well, no, I'm not going to speculate about that. And no, do I, I, nor do I think that would be productive. Um, you know, the, it, Speaker McCarthy says this is the best deal that he could get. I don't know if it is or not. Uh, it's not a good enough deal for me to vote for it. But uh, we're going to turn right around after this bill passes and move into the appropriations season, which will dominate much of what happens on Capitol Hill over the next three months. And that's our opportunity to put reforms in place and address spending again. I mean, this is a bill to raise the debt limit and set 
budget budget uh, numbers and caps doesn't go nearly far enough for me to vote for it. Uh, but when we when we pass the spending bills, that's an opportunity for us again to revisit a lot of these issues and hopefully call for fiscal sanity, fiscal responsibility, and do something about the national debt. It's not going to happen in this bill, in my opinion. That's why I'm voting no on it. But hopefully we can turn around and and uh, do something when it gets to the appropriations. Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk to us uh, about it. You can follow the man on Twitter. We will see how the vote goes later today. Congressman Jim Banks, thank you so very much. Um, I am, I am uh, admittedly, I'm, I'm watching. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know how it's going to flow. What, what I know for sure, is the Dow is down 150, the NASDAQ is down 51, because everybody's waiting. The country, if you will, those people watching the dollars and cents, uh, they are a little bit uh, frozen. They're going to wait to see what happens next. And, of course, they're, they're not wrong. They are not wrong to do so. I must say that I'm I'm very curious to see, and I thought it was interesting um, to the extent uh, that Banks demurred because it's it's also it's true it would be speculation. He might not know what it is that someone like Gates might do or somebody else might do or he might do regarding McCarthy putting this deal forward. But the follow up, the, the other side of that is that these things don't exist in a vacuum. Why in the world? If you are McCarthy, would you bring forward a deal that you didn't think could pass? Which means he knows that this is a deal that could A, pass, and B, fits the limits, the, the guardrails of his deal with the Republicans. That has to be it. Otherwise, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. Remember, these people sometimes don't do what we want them to do. But they're not actually dumb. Right? That's, that's what I... What I thought. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.